The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not that of the GUI Media Network or associated brands and sponsors. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Because clothing is a prison and society will not cage me. In a world with too many reboots and remakes, two men will stop it on nothing to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, cycles, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from uh, everywhere, from whatever we want, basically. All your favorite things. All your favorite things. All our favorite things. Basically, yeah. And uh, tonight, we are going to be talking about a 1990s classic. I thought that this was the 80s that this movie came out, but apparently it is. It's close enough. It is on on the the dot. Yeah, it's on the dot. With me, of course, as always, Tondi is Hey, here. kids, nobody put Spooky in the corner. <laughs> that's the wrong movie. I, I don't know. Also, like, that's like I was talking with Amy the other night about, like, the thing that you pour shots into to pour into a glass when mixing is called a jigger. jigger. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm never going to say that in a mix. <laughs> like, it's just too close. It's like, it's completely fine and appropriate and totally okay, but it's too close. That's like you saying spooky when talking about ghosts. Not going, not going with that word. Just not gonna. I think you're okay if you call it a jigger. Still not gonna. Nope. I think I'm good. You're you're not. No. Yeah. <laughs> I was not looking for a free pass. You, you so sing yeah. that Jay Z's. I was singing Jay Z, and that's uh, yeah. That is. I, I have heard that excuse in in the wild before. I'm just singing the song. That's not how that works. It's, it's called. Jigga. <laughs> yes? No. No? Guns? Yes. Okay. I deserve it. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> we could do a Jay-Z biopic at one point, but no, we are- we will, eventually. A- eventually, yeah. We are talking about a film that features the Swayze. The Swayze. The Swayze, and one Miss Demi Moore as well. This is- This was an experience. I'd never seen the movie before, so this was an experience for me. It is one of those movies that I definitely think- you're going to have a more like positive feeling about it if you experienced it closer to when it came out. Like if there's some nostalgia built into it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, Patrick Swayze is an odd star. Like I like Patrick Swayze. Of course I do. He's from my era. But he's just, he's an odd star with his, his whole aesthetic, his hair, his face. He's a little dancer man. That's... But- See, that is a thing that I've always felt with him that was always weird for me is that nothing about the characters that he's portrayed to suggest to me that he's a tough guy. Even in Roadhouse, it's like he's ready to dance fight anyone <laughs> at any moment. It's not yes. It's not like this bru- big bruiser <laughs> that he, he looks like he's going to be like, hey, and then do like some flowery dance and spin before he tries to throw. Yeah, he could maybe challenge Michael Jackson in the Beat It video. Right, exactly. He's like the other gang leader. Right, yeah. It, it, there's nothing kind of bruiser about him at all. So Mm-mm. the fact that he got put into those roles, uh, like in the 80s and 90s, not just a few, just a few. Not a, He wasn't an action star or anything, but very strange to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
but but I, I do fully understand the draw. I do I fully understand the draw. Uh, another odd thing for me is that I remember Demi Moore as being a sex symbol, as being one of the most beautiful women of her time. And she is. She is very beautiful. She looks like somebody I would have crushed on hard in that era. But I made the mistake of watching the Ben Affleck Anna de Armas vehicle before I watched this movie, before I watched Ghost. Oh. I watched Deep Water. And they're modern sexy. Like, and purposely modern sexy in the movie. They portray sexy. And then I see Demi Moore and uh, Patrick Swayze. And I'm like, oh, they... They're like pe they like regular people from their era, sexy, and it's not the same at all. No, it really isn't. <laughs> it does not translate, and especially the feathered hair. I'm talking about Swayze. Demi Moore's hair not feathered at all. Mm -mm. She's got like a boy cut in this yeah. thing, which and is cute. She's working it. Yeah. She actually is working that haircut pretty well. But Swayze, fl the f floweriest <laughs> hair that any accountant should ever have. That was his thing. It was totally yeah. His that was his thing. thing. That's how he did 80s, 90s guy. So I'm not hating it. But yes, it is very period specific. Very, very much. And uh, also the one thing that I thought was interesting, and I, there, I found a pretty easy workaround uh, that is actually just hitting the mark a little harder with Oda May as far as like her being like a like seer of things. Yeah. There's There's some... I, it, it's not it's not as bad as a lot of the stuff from that era could it is, have it been. is uncomfortable it, it is, is a little uncomfortable it is un uncomfortable uh, there's ways of kind of still keeping to the script on that but just hitting that mark a little closer of just like yeah i'm conning people like i'm putting on a fake almost cartoonish kind of vibe to uh -huh. my character yeah and if you make it that yeah he, she's uh suckering people out of their money by leaning into their you know prejudices then that is a pretty safe way of still having that Yes, um, yes. That's that's how I ended up kind of going about it. But um, there there was a take where I would have done that too. Um, the first person before we talk about our 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 castings, the first person that came to mind for this project beyond anybody else was actually Leslie Jones. I did not use Leslie Jones, but uh, what Whoopi was doing as far as a, a modern take on that, very much. Leslie Jones is the the person that closest resembles what Whoopi's doing in yes, the movie. Yes, absolutely. It's the, the like, loud black friend role uh -huh. uh, from, from that era. Yeah. Very much. And what's very weird is that I caught, there was one scene I rewatched for this episode that there's even, like, an inflection that she's doing in parts of this that feels very Axel Foley in the way that she's <laughs> yes. delivering some lines. Yes. Which is I noticed so, that in the bank, yeah. Yeah, and in the bank, it's very bizarre that she's hitting some, like, Eddie Murphy kind of in, inflections at one point. And I'm going, is this just like a... It's a studio note. We, a, we, uh, people like Eddie Murphy. <laughs> do some, uh, do some Eddie Murphy. But I'm a, I'm a woman. Yeah, yeah. So, like, just do some Eddie Murphy. Like Eddie Murphy, but in a wig. Yeah. yeah do that. Do that instead. Yeah. Very, it was, it caught me very much off guard. I didn't remember that at all, like, as a thing, but... So, rolling back into this, as I've never seen the movie before, do you, do you like this movie? Do I have, like Ghost? I have nostalgia for it. Uh, that is built in that makes me have more of an appreciation for this film than I think it deserves. I have watched this film with people that did not watch it as a kid. So I do have the experience of watching it through the eyes of somebody <laughs> that, you know, saw it as a full adult in like modern era mm -hmm. and gone like, so that's a movie. Um, yeah. There's a lot of very interesting choices this film takes uh, and, and some, I wouldn't say liked. 
I do have some nostalgic uh, connection to it. So when I chose Ghost, I was thinking, oh, it's it's a 90s movie. It'll be a breezy 90 minutes, whatever it is, and it won't matter. But it's not. It's like two hours and seven minutes, and it feels every bit of two hours and seven minutes for me. I didn't hate it. Did not hate my experience with it. But, yeah. It is definitely a product of its time in that it's trying to hit a couple different uh, tones at the same time. One of which, in 1990, that is like the heyday of the sexy thriller. Yeah. So, I mean, that is when it was all going down. So, Ghost was trying to hit some of those notes in this film of being like, there's a guy in the house and he's got a knife <laughs> and he's watching her undress and she he saw everything. Yeah, and that was really interesting. Like, is this movie, it's a, it's a dramedy thriller, but it's, it's like, so there's heavy comedy tones, but there's also like the threat of rape at some point. And there's <laughs> right? like, like the, the tone, I, and this is what movies did at a certain point in time. They were to entertain a, a broader audience. They weren't so uh, niched uh, into like specific uh, eras, areas of, of entertainment or whatever. So I, I do understand that, but it, it did strike me little little cockeyed it and it gets gruesome at points i mean the the way that the climax occurs in this film is like straight out of a horror yeah, movie. the way people go to hell generally yeah it's it's a lot and to think that that earlier in this film it's got whoopi goldberg talking to nobody you know <laughs> just being woo, yeah doing her, whoopi, doing thing, her yeah. whoopi thing and just having a good old time with patrick swayze being like no that's not what i said let me move this penny <laughs> and just wackadoo stuff and then there's just fucking murder, gruesome, like cut in half with a pane of glass, crazy murder hell yeah. uh, scene. There's the Puerto Rican killer guy, noops on Demi Moore, and then is criminal element character that somehow um, the friend, uh, Carl, knows. Like, how does he know this guy? Like, do, do they go to the same bar, same barber? Yeah, I did, I did not like the use of race in the movie. Like, the, the, the minorities in the movie are all, like, villains. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, like, you know, Otome having a criminal record going back 20-plus years or whatever. I just, yeah. It, yeah. I uh, I tried to diversify the cast a little bit more just so that it was it didn't lay on those lines like it was a fucking Power Rangers movie, <laughs> you know. Uh, I know we've discussed that before, uh, but um, but when the character's name is Willie Lopez, uh, your choices are kind of limited on who you're, unless you change the name. But I know I could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's get into it because I'm kind of interested to see how we approach this. Um, it's it's not by any stretch the most problematic movie that I've run into. Oh, no, no, no. It, 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 you know, it's not really problematic. It's just, it's a product of its time. Sure. It's not yeah, like yeah. it's trying to be offensive because no. oh, it's going to give me a laugh or, you know, F those whatever people that we hate in this period of time. It's not that. It's just, it's just a product of its time. That it's so glaring looking at it through the modern lens and just yeah. being like, wow, this, I mean, it, it's fine. Like, nobody's coming after the director or anything of Ghost uh -huh. now for this <laughs> movie. But um, yeah, so... With your version, are you modernizing it? Are you doing a, a 1990 period piece? Are you... So for my commercial version, I am doing a straight remake. Okay. Uh, it's it's a modern film. I'm updating a few of the elements to be more modern and changing some elements that I just... I personally found off-putting uh, to make them more palatable for a modern audience and myself. A similar kind of thing for so, me too, but, yeah. But the script is going to be pretty much... Uh, the same. Okay. 
Um, the beats of the script for me are going to be relatively similar. Is the the, the basic uh, bones of the story are going to be there. It's going to be modern. Yep. Um, and yeah, like you said, there's cer- certain aspects of the plot that I didn't really feel were necessary to lean on the way that they did with certain things. Mm-hmm. So I'm going a slightly different route with it. But yeah, the bones are still the same. Nice. I reskinned it. I guess <laughs> is the the best way to put it. Yes, that is yeah. functionally yeah. what we're working yeah, with yeah, 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 on this side sure. too. So for yours, are uh, what are we looking at? Like, which part of tone that the first movie had are you picking out to use? Are you doing like eight different tones? So no, I, I had a lot of trouble with that. Like as far as what I wanted for the tone, um, and so it's going to be a dramedy as well. And I still haven't decided how much it's leaning into the drama versus the comedy, because in the 1990s dramedy, it's a serious movie with like this disparate comedic element kind of thrown on top of mm-hmm. it and it would be more holistic in the modern time as a dramedy that the that the comedy would be more throughout the the, the piece than than it was in the 90s sure but okay. uh, so i'm 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 leaning towards dramatic comedy okay i'm going a, a similar route actually <laughs> yeah. where there is no nuance to where the comedy elements and the drama drama elements in the original Whereas there are some directors nowadays that are really finding a great way to have that uh, balance in, in very different ways of drama and comedy and how they play with one another, mm-hmm. like really dark comedies or really funny dramas, you know, yeah. that, and I, I think I picked an interesting choice for the, the tone and the director for, for my take, just thinking about how you incorporate that dramatic element and that comedic element in a modern tone w- without losing the, the kind of the spirit of the story <laughs> of the story <laughs> yeah do you want to go or do you want sure I'll, I'll, okay. I'll go first as i said it's a modern film hitting a lot of the same story beats just focusing on uh some some actor changes uh for patrick swayze's character sam wheat we have and this was a thing for me because this feeds into the idea of am i casting for a comedy or a drama so originally I had gone uh, with, um, what's his face? The lead from Dune, the, oh, the that, dad lead. Uh, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac was going to be yeah. my lead because uh, on the dramatic side, he had, like, I could see his scenes, the, the kind of intensity, emotional intensity that I wanted. I, I could see Oscar Isaac's scenes. Mm-hmm. But as I start doing the rest of the cast, I was like, man, I, I want this thing, but I want to have people fall in line more age-wise. Oscar Isaac's not a whole lot older than the rest of the cast, but he does kind of portray older because of his intensity as mm-hmm. a real actor. So I did not go with Oscar Isaac. For my Sam, I'm going with Chris Hemsworth. Okay. The modern Patrick Swayze. That's a and, yeah. And that's... so my thing with Chris Hemsworth is that Chris Hemsworth, for whatever reason, is not a romantic lead. I don't know why. He's beautiful. He's super charming, but he just has not been used as a romantic lead. So I'd be curious to see him uh, as a romantic lead under these circumstances. I think he'd work pretty well if we lean more into the comedy aspect of it for his character, because Patrick Swayze did get some comedy out of him being a ghost as well. So. True. And Chris Hemsworth has a great sense of humor. He's really able to work that in, especially playing it straight. Yeah. Um, not doing the goofy thing. I, I call it the Le- Leslie Nielsen effect, 
where the funniest <laughs> that he ever was was when being this the complete straight man complete in ridiculous situation. Yeah. And then when they went into like the Naked Gun movies from Police Squad, great. Naked Gun movies where he started like hamming at the camera and really leaning into the comedy, it lost all the effect that it had previously had. Chris Hemsworth similarly is that he's got more range than Leslie Nielsen did, I think. But uh, when he plays it straight is when he's the funniest, I think. But even though he can ham it up on the camera and still kind of get get yeah. good. But. And I think he's he's good. He's good. He's not he's not Oscar Isaac. They they do two different things. Sure. They satisfy two different areas of Very acting much. in Hollywood. Yeah. But uh, I think that Chris Hemsworth is going to be uh, my Sam for Molly Jensen, who was Demi Moore in the original. Uh, I'm going with, and this is because she struck me fairly recently, Anna de Armas. Molly Jensen in the original is a pretty face, somebody mm -hmm. that you can sympathize with because she's beautiful and longing for this loss. And I would like her to do more in this remake than just be the victim longing for this loss. Sure. But the biggest draw is that she is a pretty face who you empathize with because she's, because you, you, you see her and you're smitten. So Anna de Armas is my Molly Jensen. Uh, Carl Brunner, who is the ultimately the villain of the piece. He's Sam's best friend who turns out to uh, have been the one who, who contracted the murder, uh, was played by Tony Goldwyn in the original. Uh, in this remake, I, mean, I was just looking through who who has a villainous face, and I'm looking through villainous faces, and uh, my villainous face is Dave Franco. I mean, it's pretty on the nose, but uh... yeah, <laughs> Dave, Dave Franco has a vibe that I think works well for this movie, and I could see him and um, and Chris Hemsworth palling around beforehand. I think that they would have some fun playing off. Oh, definitely, other. yeah. Uh, Otome, uh, is no longer Otome. She's just May. Uh, Solid choice. <laughs> yeah. That's... So Otome Brown was played by Whoopi Goldberg. She was a shyster and a con man, a con person, um, a grifter who was a spiritualist who found out that she was actually a spiritualist. She had a, a family history of, of being able to do this and she didn't know that she could. She found out that she could. Boom. Uh, did not like certain aspects of the character, so I am still replacing her with somebody who can give whoopee vibes, who can kind of have whoopee energy, but who's not doing that. Uh, I'm going with, uh, Ego Nwotum from SNL. I, that was one of my, uh, shortlist, uh, mm -hmm. choices for this character. Great actress. Yeah. yeah I, she, I, she, and good she, comedy timing she's got good comic timing i think she would be good for this and she does a uh, like a principal character so she's going to be a vice principal in this uh and then we can have some of the comedy take place as uh chris kind of messes with her or sam messes with her in her school uh but all of the the verbose spiritualist aspect like she can still have a family history of being able to see spirits or whatever that she's just finding out that she can do but all the the con man stuff is not going to be part of this story for her character. And uh, Willie Lopez, kind of fortunate. This movie does not really have a lot of key characters, so uh, it was kind of easy to do a, a search and see exactly what I wanted to work with here. But for Willie Lopez in the remake, I'm replacing uh, Willie Lopez with the white guy because he's a villain. Solid. So I feel like it's better to, uh, yeah, under these circumstances to do that. 
And I'm replacing Willie Lopez with Billy Larson. And Billy Larson is the criminal who shoots Sam and who looks villainous and is creepy and who I don't know if I would have that 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 implied sexual assault scene or so, but there would be a scene of violence <laughs> or whatever uh, in there. And my Willie Lopez or Billy Larson is played by Bill Skarsgård, who is Pennywise the clown. Yes. Yeah. And a big old creep. Yeah, he's a creepy a pile of creepy. Uh, the, all the Skarsgårds are a little creepy. Even the the handsome one <laughs> yeah. is just a, yeah, just a little bit. A little bit creepy. Like, even the handsome one is, like, creepy, but also, ooh, like, I like to be scared a little. Kind of sexy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tarzan, swing me. Uh, I have... Oh, fuck, I forgot he played Tarzan. <laughs> yeah, he, he and Sam Jackson did a movie together where wow, he was Tarzan, yeah. that's upsetting. Um, so, yeah, not a core character, but something I noticed is that Steven Root is in this movie. Steven Root is. Is, is the police officer. Yep. I and I was like, wow, it's Steven Root. So the police officer, just kind of a cameo scene, will be played by Steven Root again. It'll just be Great. S- yeah. <laughs> That's your cohesive, <laughs> the connective tissue to the original is yeah. Steven Root. We're bringing Steven Root back. That's you, great. You, you gotta love Steven Root. Come on. You gotta love Steven Root. Uh, my last character of significance is the Subway Coast. You gotta. You gotta do the yeah. Subway Ghost. Who was played by uh, Vincent Schiavelli. In the original movie. Great character actor. Um, he was in a lot of stuff. Um, Playing basically the same character yeah. every time. The thing that I remember his face in the most, I think, was uh, Batman Returns. He was the the train man that kidnapped the children. Yep. He, yeah. But uh, yeah, he was just in a lot of stuff as a character actor, as, oh, it's that guy. Uh, in my movie, he will be played by... An, I had a, a, a crisis here because, once again, I didn't know how far into comedy I wanted to go. But I was like, oh, let's see, Crazy New York Man, uh, Tracy Morgan. And mm-hmm. I thought about Tracy Morgan for a while, but I don't like Tracy Morgan. But I thought he would be perfect depending on how far into uh, goofy comedy sure. I went. Uh, but then when I, penned out, when I pegged a director, uh, Tracy Morgan kind of fell by the wayside. I got you. So my subway ghost is uh, Joey Pants, uh, Joey Joey Pantaloni uh, or Pantoliano. <laughs> Joey Pantoliano, he was Cipher in Matrix. Yeah, uh, he was the uh, he's the police captain in the um, Bad Boys movies. It's been a lot of stuff. He's been in every he's in movie. Bound. Yeah, he was on. Um, I forgot he was in Bound. Yeah, yeah. he was on uh, The Sopranos. Just lots of stuff. Yeah, and, and I like him as an actor. And I think he works well comedically, but also um, he's threatening enough that he would work well as the subway ghost. And the reason, the big reason that I chose him beyond the fact that he's he's good in the role is that uh, my director is Lana Wachowski. Oh, wow. My director. And the reason that I went with her is because the Wachowskis have like this really corny sappy idea about what love is sure that they like to as as a through line in their movies but because this movie's about ghosts and at the time it had cutting i remember that subway car jumping scene in all like the entertainment tonight stuff is like oh this is the next level of special effects sure. and so they could do some really interesting things visually with that movie or not they just lana but yeah lana could really pep up that movie visually so it would be exciting on both the emotional end and the the spectacle end 
Uh, I think she'd be a good fit uh, for that movie. Now, there's a few things, a few notes that I wanted to make in the production of this movie because there's some other some things I changed in here. Uh, one is the theme song, uh, Unchained Melody, was uh, I guess a throwback to. It was written in '55, but it was popular I think in '65 or whatever. But I wanted an older song to be like the theme of the movie, but that was corny, but maybe fit with a more modern generation. And I know this song has been used in movies before. I know it has, but I didn't look to see what they were because I didn't care. Uptown funk. (laughs) (laughs) So for the scene, let's set the stage. Let's set the stage. Uh, I took out the the clay pot scene because it's gross. I hate that scene. Like they're doing it, and they're—it's like they're playing with poop, and then they get—they've—they've <laughs> they've got this scat thing going on with poop all the way up their arms, and then the scene transitions, and the song is still—and the song is diegetic, but somehow it's still playing as they are completely clean and like making out in the living room. And I just wanted to like see a transition to them washing their hands, just wash it off. <laughs> Because it's gross. They're like making out. They're like, okay, no, we got to wash off first. And yeah. then taking turns in the shower. Yeah. And getting it all off. So I replaced that with washing dishes. She's washing dishes. Lots of soap suds. More soap suds than you need. So they can have like a, a tactile visual thing going on. He like lovingly puts a foamy beard on her. Little <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, mustache. He's like, you'd make a beautiful dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I replaced uh, Unchained Melody with Coldplay's Yellow. Wow. So the theme of the movie is yellow. Uh, something else that uh, I replaced was his uh, irritating song, Henry VIII. Yeah. That probably had more recognition in 1990, not so much today. I wanted to replace it with an older pop song that was also obnoxious. So it's either uh, Gangnam Style he starts singing Gangnam Oof. Style, and at first she's like, oh, that's that's funny and charming, and then it's like hours later, and he's still like doing the, the Gangnam yeah, yeah. Style dance and like the, the whipping the arm, and yeah, she can't, she's dying. <laughs> so it was either going to be Gangnam Style or Thong Song, but I think Gangnam Style is the more... Like, you, you got a lot... I didn't think about that song, but that's a, that's a brilliant idea, is that there are so many songs that fit that, that doesn't have to be Henry VIII. You got, um, yeah, Thong Song, mm-hmm. Gangnam Style... Who let the dogs out? Mambo number five. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's so many of those. Like, uh, you could do the uh, Mambo you know, number five was actually what I was trying to think of. I, I could it could not it did not come to mind. Think, but yeah, I'm, I'm stealing that idea and I'm putting in lens steal my sunshine <laughs> as, as for mine. Hell's yeah, <laughs> hell's yeah. But yeah, I, I just wanted to update just a few aspects to make it uh, more vibe with maybe not even. Um, like a thoroughly modern audience, like 20-somethings, but like with us as an audience going to see the movie, and I think that those changes uh, will work for that. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That's um, that that's something that I wanted to touch on in a definitely a different way uh, that I went, but the idea of this being something that had decent special effects, that you wanted to have some kind of conversation about this being a, like a relationship between a, like a literal spirit and a living being. And then there are elements where there are things that Swayze can see that nobody else can see because he's dead. People, mm-hmm. like lights, demons, all sorts of shit. So um, you need somebody that can play in that space of having green screen, doing special effects, playing with the supernatural a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and I think that Lana would kill that part of it. Uh, one more change I wanted to see, and this is a small 
one or big if you were in 1990, but the scene where um, Swayze takes over Otome's body mm-hmm. and, and, and he and Demi have that moment. I just want to see the ladies. I want, like, maybe uh, the eye color can change on uh, Ego to show that she's possessed or whatever, but I, I just want to see the ladies. And, and it's not making out. It's not, it's just, it's the, the caress, mm-hmm. the intimacy. Intimacy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to see that as the ladies, not as, like, what she's seeing, I guess, is is Chris the or whatever. spectral. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It really just, I think the eye color change, too, is a really good choice. Um, there's so many minimal CGI effects you can do that you don't really understand what they did to make the scene feel different, but it gives it some uh, um, almost spooky element mm-hmm. to use a term I'm uncomfortable with. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, they can, they can put it through a lens. They can create like smoky effects. They can do all sorts of stuff to make it feel different than they look normally. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't have to have just the, like the floaty ghost character over top. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. So I definitely wanted to have something that played with the supernatural elements a little bit more. Um, the balance between drama and comedy is really difficult. The adapting it to a modern turn versus how it is in the original. Mm-hmm. And I thought that there's been some success with uh, having like a dark like drama with comedic elements when going into like the very indie approach to a story um, uh-huh. where, where you're, you're having some very weird kind of completely insane uh, approaches to how people are experiencing uh, not so normal moments in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm having just very almost gross elements that come along with, uh, with Sam being part of this, you know, this post life purgatory that he's in, existing in, but also some incredibly beautiful moments in it as well that, he ha- he sees like the the world with all the the set dressing ripped away. You know, it's like the bones of nice. our, our our world. Sees the scaffolding and yeah. the struts and yeah, the- yeah, kinda. And and also with people as well is that like th- there's a gruesomeness to being I- in between worlds, but there's also kind of a beauty at the same time if you look deep enough. And that's wh- and that's what he has to connect to in order to be able to have any kind of a uh, physical interaction with the with. Uh, the material world is that he has to basically embrace uh, the kind of skeletal uh, makings of his, his current existence yeah. in order to interact with the reality of, of, uh, of the material world. Yeah. They, they kind of tried to literally show some of that in the original movie when he's like passing through people and you see the blood vessels yep. and the, yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit more of that, like from his perspective, everything's really uh, pretty, intense and, <laughs> and gross uh that guy has to poop <laughs> yeah right <laughs> kind of a little bit and uh yeah just that th- there's almost like a a moistness to the world <laughs> that just didn't exist in the real world and uh and so everything just feels kind of blah, like humid and wet and <laughs> just see you see that's 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 grossing some people out but people can't see right now i'm unbuttoning my shirt so <laughs> I'm down I like, for it. I like that you're method <laughs> podcasting <laughs> yeah. right now and actually yeah. buttoning. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so for mine, I did want to have uh, comedic actors that either have or I believe really would be able to nail like more dramatic moments mm-hmm. so that when it goes into like the weird and the silly, they're going to have the ability to do that in the context better than like a dramatic actor trying to be zany. You know? Yeah. Um, so 
it, what do they say is like if you you can do anything if you can do comedy. Yeah. So so you got to lean on the comedic actors to be dramatic because dramatic actors can't always uh, or actually honestly rarely can uh, hit those comedic. Well, the comedic actors hypothetically have the pain that can drive those those other kinds yep. of scenes. Absolutely. So for Sam, uh, actor that I'm well, I mean, who doesn't love him? He's amazing and he's so funny. And but also, I have not seen him in enough dramatic roles, and I. I almost guarantee he would just absolutely massacre a truly dramatic role is uh, Kumail Nanjani. Oh, yeah. Uh, he would do so good. And so just being able to like lean in a little bit with being like too uh, busy with his work to pay attention to life, you know, and his, and his partner. And he's, he's too kind of stuck in his role. Uh, so Sam in the, in the original was definitely kind of stuffier than Demi Moore was. Yeah. So to have Kumail like starting off that way as being just like, you know, exec, just doing the exec thing, and then just being stuffed into this, like, very weird, wet <laughs> world. I can uh, see, I can definitely see Kumail playing uptight, because I think, I feel like I've seen him play uptight. It's a different kind of uptight. It's yeah, the it's, same. it's a funny uptight that he's yeah. played before, yeah. But, uh, like, before he really hit it big, he was playing minor roles as the, like, you have to fill out this form guy, uh -huh. you know? Yeah, definitely. But... Yeah, him just being somebody that is too much of a workaholic to be able to properly take a moment and smell the roses and appreciate what he has and uh, pay attention. And that's why the, the ditto is more of like, not so much that he's scared to say I love you, but he never takes the moment to uh, appreciate those like sweet moments between partners. You know, yeah. it's more of like him pouring over papers and going like, oh, ditto. Yeah. Uh, you know, just it's, it's him not taking the time. So I, I think he would have a, a lot of fun with the role, and I'd, I'd just be really interested to see kind of that that arc of the character from uh, paper-pushing uh, workaholic to being somebody that can stop and smell the roses, even if they're kind of wet and gross. Yeah, uh, I could I could definitely see him in that role. Did you see The Big Sick? Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's such a good movie. And uh, even though that was definitely funny, very yeah. funny. But, it, but it's about him and his feelings yep. as well. And so. he, he did a fantastic job in that. And the one trajectory that I wanted for both characters, like you were saying with the original that Molly didn't really have an arc per mm -hmm. se, was just there to be like the the focal point of this the plot and, mm -hmm. and you know, the the wantings of men. Um, I wanted there to be this conversation of that like Sam is learning how to like see the world for the first time, really like stop what he's doing and actually look around and uh and see the world and its beauty, even if in its ugliness there's beauty. Um and that's something that Molly was always able to see that she's an artist. She mm -hmm. oh, which she lived in that world, but she never really made any money at her art because she never had like the motivation to look at the, the business side the commercial of the, part the, of the commercial it, yeah. part of it is that she thought just making art was enough. And it's like more people are going to get to see it if you put it out there for people, you know? And so that what is important just to make the art and nobody see it, then it doesn't exist in the first place. It's that art exists because we have, witness to it yeah well yeah i feel like that's something that most artists have to grow out of so that's a pretty organic plot yeah. point right yeah there. yeah so it's her kind of like almost learning to put herself out there as as an artist and like that claiming that not just doing it but actually claiming that role yeah. as an artist uh, which i know how hard that is for creative types to really claim that like i am this instead of this is something i do on the side yeah and uh so as she's taking herself a little bit more seriously 
uh, he's learning to take himself a little less seriously. So they're kind of like ships passing in the night um, in the story as she's starting to like become like a fully fleshed out, realized person able to be motivated and like, and do something with her talents. And he's learning how to let go of his. Yeah, I, I dig that tremendously, but you got me on pins and needles. <laughs> Who you got? For Molly Jensen, I wanted somebody that I think would be able to play off of Sam relatively well, would be able to bring his silly out a little bit in those private moments before he dies. Uh-huh. Uh, but also somebody that I've seen do dramatic and could really kill it. And also is somebody that has worked or with the, uh, the directors that we'll get into shortly before. I went with Jenny Slate. Oh, nice. Um, I don't feel like I've seen her in a lot of stuff lately. She was actually recently in um, I Want You Back. She was in with Charlie Day. It's a new uh, huh. romantic comedy on Amazon that just dropped about, it's kind of strangers on a train, but instead of, instead of killing the, the husband and wife or whatever, it's them trying to ruin the relationships that their exes are in so that the exes will come back to them. Huh. Who would have ever thought that uh, out of the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia gang, Charlie Day would be the one to do major motion pictures? Right. Yeah, he's the one that broke (laughs) out out of all of them. Yeah. So, but I mean, he's lovable. Yeah, he definitely is. That's what it comes down to. And also, I think it was, yeah, it was part of my thought process with that is that I've seen uh, Jenny Slayton, a number of roles, dramatic and non-dramatic, but also she was did this like late night show thing where she did a lie detector uh-huh and she was so legitimately riddled with anxiety <laughs> that i saw le- like she was like almost crying at one point because she was so and and they didn't ask her anything that was like scary what are they gonna review about nothing yeah. nothing about chris evans or <laughs> it's just that she's got like an anxiety thing for sure in her day-to-day life that seeing that translating into grief and the anxiety you feel after losing somebody so important in your life and stuff i could see her just really connecting in some way with her own uh, challenges with anxiety and being able to really push that forward and be like a really dramatic and kind of intense moment. Yeah. Nice pull. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I like the, um, the expanding of the actor pool, you know, it's hard if, if you've never done this exercise, it is hard to pull in new people. So it is because there's so many actors that are just like the old faithful that you could throw in and put uh-huh. anywhere that you want. And uh, it, you don't want to do that every every episode because then it gets boring. That's, yeah. Um, not every role needs to go to like four actors. <laughs> so <laughs> Yes, Hollywood. Not every role needs to go to four actors. Yeah. But this next role, Otome, was a, a challenge for me. And part of that was just how the character was represented on the screen was the big thing. Is that I wanted there to be not such a deviation from the original film that it became, it felt like almost a different story arc uh-huh uh but also understanding that the way that things were handled in 1990 are different than they were handled now and i think the element that i used to really change the the way the character was represented without changing too much was uh taking uh an actress as talented as Issa Rae to play nice. Otome and the 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 angle of the character is that yeah she is like conning people out of money but it's like the the lay of the land of it's like bougie white folks <laughs> that she's taking advantage of. And then using that as kind of a difference of perspective with her and Sam through the remainder of the series is that they come from entirely different backgrounds and they're both represented relatively well. It's it's instead of Otome doing like the, the in the bank doing the Eddie Murphy impression kind of stuff, it's she's May. She's 
just May when her siblings that are in there with her, like doing the, the con art stuff and everything like that, they're, they're want to be actors, you know, that's where uh-huh. they come from, but they just kind of found themselves in this circumstance. Perfect. And she's got sisters that are trying out for actual at the acting roles and stuff. That's, that's the kind of dynamic that they're coming from instead of like the con artist family thing. Uh, yeah. Weird. They didn't really present much information about her sister. So yeah. they're just, they're just background characters in the original one. Yeah. So I'd, I'd want at least like her and at least like one of her sisters, like basically being re- adult roommate siblings. Yeah, um, be nice to flesh that out a little bit, a little bit more. And she would work well with Kamale because they've done a movie. Together, exactly. They so. did the lovebirds together. Yeah. And though it wasn't my favorite movie, um, think both of them are great actors I, I think the material wasn't really fleshed out well enough for me yeah on on that movie but um i think it would be fun to see their interactions with one another camille and and Issa just going at each other and definitely I, I think that would be a lot of fun as far as like the letting go aspect of things from uh Kumail's character to see you know this is somebody that has been relatively successful his whole life and has and came from like a better off family mm-hmm. see another side to society of happy in spite of how much struggle there is. Um, and literally having to con people out of money in order to get by and still not being as uh, picky or weird about stuff as he was in his life as a banker. It's, it's that old trope in film is like the poor people teach the re- real rich people <laughs> how to live kind of thing. Um, a little 48 hours action. Kind of, yeah. Or, or well, not for, uh, trading places. Trading rather. places, yeah, yeah. yeah. Places well, of, of just like, yeah, sometimes not having stuff is what allows you the opportunity to be able to look around and appreciate what you have. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that would be an interesting dynamic between the two of them. Then we got Carl, the bad guy. <laughs> and I wanted to definitely go classic, like, 1990 banker vibe for this character, slick back hair, the whole deal. And somebody that I've seen recently play a pretty maniacal uh, character in a very fun manner. And it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I went with Sebastian Stan. Oh, yeah. I could definitely 100% see Sebastian Stan as that guy. And taking that turn, too, as, as into the bad guy. I think he could do a really good job with that. Um, and, yeah, if you haven't seen Fresh, it's it's a solid horror flick. It's, it's, not, you know, start, it's not treading any new ground, really, for the most part. But it is a fun ride, and uh, he hmm. plays this like this crazy killer person. I don't want I don't want to give too much away of the plot, but yeah, he's he's a a very charismatic crazed killer. Did you see any of uh, Pam and Tommy? We watched the whole thing and talk about a tonal shift. Holy shit! You've got like Seth Rogen in a mullet as a contractor with little short shorts, and you're like, okay, this is amazing. I'm into this. It's got uh, Nick Offerman as this like drug addict porn guy. Uh, like porn director guy, and you're like, this is I. I'm so fucking into this. Sure, this why great. not? And then like three or four episodes in, just boom. Yeah, it's <laughs> so much tragedy, and you're feeling so bad about yourself and the circumstances and society. And, oh yeah, and and a talking dick. Manzukas, I think, voiced the dick. Oh, I could. I didn't. I didn't know who what it was. Yeah, I think yeah, it was I Jason could... Manzukas that voiced the dick, which of course he did. <laughs> um. <laughs> Imagine, imagine making that phone call, like Jason. Hey, we have a small voice role, like a VO role, it's but uh, yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think you'll appreciate it. It's gonna be a fun time. Real quick, um, deal. You're gonna be playing Tommy Lee's dick, and he, and he probably squealed with delight <laughs> at that point into the phone. Like, yes, I would do that for free. <laughs> 
So, um, Sebastian, Sebastian, Sam for Carl. Then, uh, Willie. Yeah, I went, I, that is, see the challenge that I run into a lot of the times is that I don't want to remove representation sometimes Mm -hmm. if I can change the way that it is being shown on screen. Definitely. So yeah, if you can make them a genuine character. Yeah. And with Willie, I think that was all available. All the tools were there and available in the original film, but they just didn't take the extra beat to inform it with another line or two. If Carl has something over him or somebody in Willie's family, a fraud thing that his cousin did or some, some kind of motivation that makes Willie unwillingly an accomplice to this situation. And, uh, and he doesn't have a way out. And so you really reinforce Carl being this true villain and Willie being a victim of circumstance. Yeah. And and that's something that should, I think in the original movie, they could have done earlier to establish Carl's villainy. So yeah. Yeah. And, uh, for this, I, (laughs) The problem with this is this actor is too good for this small of a role, <laughs> which is sometimes what you run into with these smaller parts. But for Willie Lopez, I got uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, who was in Old, the, the Shyamalan flick. Uh-huh. Uh, also, The Motorcycle Diaries and Itumama Tambien. Uh-huh. So, incredible actor that doesn't deserve to be in such a small role. But I, I think, especially when you're trying to inform the character in such quick succession... Um, that you have very little to work with, uh, it, like not a lot of landing strip for that uh-huh. uh, to be discussed. You need somebody that's really going to be able to uh, to explain a lot and very little. And uh, and he's such a fantastic actor; he'd be able to pull that off. So, oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And then finally, my subway ghost. Um, this was informed entirely by this actor having worked with the directors before, but also because of the Batman is I thought it would be a lot of fun to see what Paul Dano would do as the subway <laughs> ghost, uh, just rolling around. And uh, oh, I, could, he, going... I mean, he, he we just got to see him as the creepy, crazy guy. So. Yeah. So just letting him have even more room to play as like the un- fully unhinged ghost person that, uh, and also because he's such a brilliant actor, there would be so much more that he would bring to that role. It wouldn't be just like this loud, yelly guy that's a ghost. There would be like that. This is somebody that before they died had mental health problems that they were running into, and then like, how does that translate to the afterlife that you're see, you're seeing things, but like maybe you saw things before you died, and so after you died, it's almost like, haha, I was right, you know? That how do you yeah how do yeah. you translate that? Paul Dano's great because he has permanent. The dude is fully an adult now. He has permanent school shooter energy. <laughs> He really does. It's so weird. It's so weird. But uh, yeah, no, he, especially those glasses. And I know they were the same glasses that were worn in uh, by Riddler or Enigma in uh, the earlier Batman movie with Jim Carrey played him. Uh They use the same glasses as like an homage to that. But when Dano wears them, it's very much got serial killer, like shooter vibes. Yeah, that is just his energy. Oof. But I think he would have a lot of fun. It's a small role, but man, would he have a whole whole hog good time? Oh yeah, unleashing as the subway goes. So, and the tone that I'm going for is these are the directors of uh, Swiss Army Man. Oh, uh, and additionally, they so are some pa- Paul Dano, right? Paul Dano, yeah, uh, yeah. And also, they are uh, the directors of a film coming out that I'm very excited about, starring Michelle Yeoh called Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm also very excited to see the that. The trailer looks incredible. It's like a, a multiverse kind of thing happening. Yeah. Um, it looks very fun, very trippy. And that's what I really wanted with both Swiss Army Man and Everything Everywhere All at Once. There's 
this it's it's a drama that has this like kind of com- almost comedic level of weirdness that happens in this in these dramatic scenes that uh-huh. that's where the comedy comes from is just the absurdity of the circumstances so if you can have sam lamenting you know him being dead but there's like weird squash noises as ghosts are walking by him in this like damp after purgatory thing you know there there's the the element the surroundings and the circumstances are what informs the comedy as opposed to people being like slap a dap a doo um everybody else is playing it relatively straight but playing it straight in absurd circumstances mm-hmm. is sometimes the funniest humor so um yeah. that's kind of what i wanted to do with it being the tim meadows of the <laughs> of the circumstances yeah right yeah. and that's uh that's daniel kwan and daniel uh Scheinert are the two uh directors that did swiss army man and everything everywhere all at once very cool yeah yeah so I have not seen the entirety of Swiss. I have seen Swiss Army Man. I did see the entirety of Swiss Army Man. So in that movie, was the dead body a uh, uh, mental defense mechanism to keep him sane and on the path, or was that supposed to be an actual thing? I took it as him having some real challenges <laughs> that uh, finding a dead body was not uh, helpful <laughs> in. Uh, him him keeping track of uh, reality at all. So I, I took that as being got completely like made up thing. Yeah. 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 So, um, and just, I mean, the human mind is a very weird and wonderful and scary place. So yeah, it will fill in its own spaces when there's nothing there. Yeah. 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 So um, I think, I think that would be really fun to see what those guys could do with ghost. Yeah. Uh, put some real weirdness in there, make it more than just some weird, dramedy from the 90s you know <laughs> like put some some real ass to it no know? I'm, I'm all about it I, yeah, I yeah. like that those are our real commercial quote-unquote takes on uh on ghost what's left now is the remix remix pretend wesley snipes is on screen wiki wiki <laughs> <laughs> i'm offended i'm taking off my headphones and walking out the studio fair right now. fair <laughs> uh so for the remix yeah this is just our take on just a really an interesting approach to the material. It normally doesn't require a whole lot of uh, thought process to come up with why we picked the characters and stuff. It's just a, like a fun mental exercise. Yeah. So, so for uh, for yours, what kind of tone are we looking at here? What's what's different with the story? Uh, it is a very different story, actually. It, okay. It hits some of the same story beats, but it is. It's not even the same thing. Uh, this movie is a melancholy romance, and uh, for my pitch two for Ghost, the ghost is actually not a ghost. It's the persistent memory of a dead lover that is affecting your current circumstance. Oh, wow. Okay. So, like an echo. Yes. It is okay. It is like an echo, but it, it, it's something that, tr- that travels throughout the protagonist's life, through Molly's life. Uh, so basically what happens is that Molly loses Samantha tragically and because Molly is a very sensitive human being and because of how tragic the situation is, she carries that with her. And so when this next relationship begins, she finds somebody who is is incredibly uh, attractive to her because this person reminds her of Samantha. And so she meets May. May reminds her of Samantha. She is, say, sitting, having a conversation with May. 
and it transitions into actually being a conversation with Samantha. Not a ghost thing, it's, it's, a, it's fully mental, but she's just she sees so much of Samantha in this relationship, which is why she was drawn to it in the first place, that she, she cannot, uh, she can't get rid of it. It's, it's just, it's persistently with her. So it's a combination of both actual memories of her relationship with Samantha mm-hmm. and very disconcerting situations where she's in the present time inside of her relation, her current relationship, but she's seeing uh, Samantha in this situation. And it comes to a head because May is like, I'm my own person. Yeah. I, I cannot, I can't be this ghost for you. Like, I love you, but you have to see me as a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, uh, Molly can't get there. And so it ends with her and her ghost as she is sad and melancholy through life, still having this persistent haunting of this memory. Wow. Yeah. So you went more of a, a direct, dramatic, uh, like almost suspenseful um, yeah. love story. Yeah. Kind of deal. Okay. Yeah, just a, a, a melancholy love story all the way through. Wow, okay. that Yeah, definitely not something I even thought to consider, so I, I like that a lot. So, um, uh, for my cast, uh, it started with somebody that was a little bit older than perhaps what you're thinking. Everybody in the cast is, oh, the th- three main characters. I didn't cast anybody else. It's just the three main characters, and they're all in their 30s. But uh, it started with me imagining the lead as Molly. I have Anne Hathaway. Okay. And that's because I can see in my mind Anne Hathaway smiling with tears in her eyes, just as an actress. That, that's yeah. a lot of her vibe. She's smiling with tears in her eyes, just on the, the edge of mania or just breakdown. Mm-hmm. I, I can just see that vibe. That smile that's not a smile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for Samantha, uh, I have Zoe Kravitz. I'm sorry. I have uh, Zoe Saldana oh, okay. as Samantha, as the ghost. And then as May, I have Zoe Kravitz. Oh, solid. And so they, she just keeps seeing these two people mm-hmm. as just uh, flip-flopping one person. And uh, this sad tone follows it throughout the movie. And so for my director, I chose uh, Spike Jones of Being John Malkovich, where yeah. the things are her adaptation. And because Spike Jones has this thing that I referred to as dreamy melancholy that kind of follows through some of his movies. Very much. And that's the tone that I'm going for with this movie, kind of a, a dreamy melancholy mood that follows uh, throughout the movie. I like that. There's that, me- that melancholy is kind of what I was trying to capture with the uh, directors of Swiss Army Man. Mm-hmm. But definitely, that's the only matching point with Spike Jones. <laughs> like, Spike <laughs> Jones goes into like almost like a listless and thoughtful <laughs> kind of approach <laughs> to that. Whereas it's melancholy and also fart jokes on the other one. So, um, no, I like that a lot. That's, that's interesting. Like Spike Jones's, um, and that approach. Yeah. That, that, that fits. I like that a lot. Uh, my pitch. Yeah. It's not going to take a whole lot of time, but I decided to just like break this down a little bit and not make it, uh, as tropey as some like successful businessman as being the main character in this and do it a little bit more uh, grounded in uh, in what would work for this director and these actors as well is that um, Sam and Carl uh, sell newspapers or, or uh, magazine subscriptions door to door. That's what they do. And uh, because nobody reads magazines anymore, it's not going well. So they have developed all sorts of different tricks 
to try to convince people to buy these magazines, including like um, implying that you get additional stuff with the magazine subscription uh -huh. if you were to. And um, they're they're scummy. They're 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 fuck boys. They're they're not <laughs> very they're not very good people. And they uh, it's that gray area of conning where they are getting people newspaper subscriptions, but they're doing it in the, like the least honest way possible. Mm -hmm. um, and so the 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 change in the story is when Sam recognizes that they're short on what they're supposed to be paying out for this job uh, by a significant amount, and it's all on his subscriptions. So he's trying to figure out what he did wrong to like fuck up his numbers. Uh -huh. And Carl is like, he's been stealing money from his friend this whole time uh, and trying to like, you know, but he's dumb. So he doesn't really know how to cover up the math very well <laughs> or like, and evidently th Sam is kind of dumb. Yeah. Too, they're yeah. both idiots. And so um, he ends up that he's going to get their weed dealer to, uh, <laughs> to take him out um, uh, to which he's had to agree to buy twice as much weed to make up for the loss of sales from <laughs> the one being stabbed to death. Um, and uh, so that happens. And then uh, Mo Molly, his girlfriend, this all takes place on Long Island, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, it, Molly is very upset and beside herself. And, uh, and Carl is trying to like console her and also had always kind of had a thing for her. And it's trying to like skate in uh -huh. um, even though um, there's the missing like subscription uh, pad that has all of, all of his numbers on his sales. Uh -huh. Um, in the in their uh well in sam's parents garage where he lives uh it's somewhere in there <laughs> uh where also molly is living at the time until she has enough money to move out on her own um yeah. so carl is trying to find a way in there to find that because that shows how many magazines he actually sold and it might like lead back to him somehow so he's just trying to like get rid of the evidence of the newspaper subscriptions. That's where, you know, Willie comes into play, which is the same, uh, this weed dealer that took out Sam yep. is now like kind of fucking with Molly and Molly's not having it. And she's like, she's not having any of the shit anyway. Like she's, she can handle herself for the most part. Um, but then that's when Sam realizes as a ghost that, you know, uh, he needs to get Oda May, who is literally his mom's friend that has always said that she has a, like a third eye and can like, see into uh -huh. the yeah, everybody's mom has that one friend that is kind of <laughs> mystical in some way either they either they're like the white woman that has dream catchers everywhere or they have like healing crystals or or they think that they're just like the shirley mclean friend yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right? just a little psychic so goes to her and come to find out yeah apparently can see ghosts and uh and may ends up helping sam and it's, it follows a lot of the same beats, but it's in this really scummy fuckboy Long Island <laughs> kind of vibe to it. So Sam is uh, played by Pete Davidson. Yeah, I knew it was yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. With And the best part of this, though, <laughs> is that um, that Carl is played by Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> and then, of course, you've got to have Megan Fox as Molly. <laughs> so that's going to be a good time. Uh, uh, it hurts my heart that that's a thing. <laughs> it's really... Like, <laughs> I just want to see Machine Gun Kelly and Pete Davidson just fuckboying around together and with like too much money for fuckboys to have. Like they're so, not supposed so, to have so that So like their real lives? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then we've got uh, Willie Lopez, the the, uh, the weed dealer in this one, is played by Amore uh, Nolasco, who you might know, he was 
the one that had a grandma that made like an alligator etouffee or whatever in Transformers. He was the uh, soldier at the beginning of that movie. Huh. That uh, there was a bunch of uh, basically ca- racist Cajun jokes uh, <laughs> that he delivered at the beginning of that. He's a character actor. He's been in a ton of stuff, including A Good Day to Die Hard, Max Payne, Transformers. Uh, he always plays like the the like charming but like hardened badass, bad, uh-huh. like bad guy a lot of the time. Um, so I thought it'd be kind of fun for him to just, he's got a comedic bite to him so just to let him lean on that a little bit more than a lot of his roles let him i'd be i'd be kind of yeah you have to have a sense of humor to be in in any of michael bay's movies yeah yeah. right yeah exactly oh we got oda may i forgot um that is where we're going so stereotypical it's got to be leslie jones um (laughs) (laughs) when you say leslie jones i'm like she's she's just yeah yeah, she's just that character yeah she's just more comfortable with it being like a long island mystic leslie jones as Uh opposed to like some like sitting in a psychic shop kind of leslie jones and then Subway Ghost, of course, you know, Subway, New York, that works. Um, I would love to see Tom Green as the Subway Ghost. Wow. Would yeah. be. Not, I've not seen Tom Green in a while. I thought, yeah, that would be good. That would be good. Have him just pop in. And you're like, whoa, fuck, that's Tom Green. And then he's just doing weird Tom Green shit on the subway. You know who you mentioned before who I'm thinking now is Manzukis would be. The Zook would be yeah. so good as the Subway Ghost. Man, why did I not think of that yeah. when I was putting this together? He would be so much fun. And this is definitely zany. Uh, the director of this is the director of Big Time Adolescence, starring Pete Davidson, where he plays a scumbag from uh-huh. Long Island. Um, and also directed I Want You Back, that starred Jenny Slate and uh, Charlie Day recently, um, is Jason Orley. He also, the only other credit he has as director is Pete Davidson's comedy special from Netflix. <laughs> so clearly a friend. And also Machine Gun Kelly was in Big Time Adolescence as one of his friends um, that like smoked weed with a 12 year old or whatever uh, that story was. But uh-huh. um, yeah, so I, I, they're clearly friends from big time adolescence with this director. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of throw them into ghost as just a long Island uh, scumbag story, I think would be so much fun. And even people that are huge fans of the original, this is so separated that honestly, they'd be like, no, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> it's like 21 jump street, the movie, you know, it's so separated from the original that uh-huh. you're like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> this yeah. Is awesome. No, it'd be a lot of fun. Pete Davidson is, he's a fun character. I don't, I still can't fully figure out his vibe, but I do enjoy seeing him in things. He's got serious fuckboy energy. But the thing is, is though, I I think that he is so aware of that himself uh-huh. that it makes him actually less of a fuckboy almost. Yeah. Like he, he's like, no, well, he's also a little bit older now. And, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and by all reports, he's a very nice guy. Yeah. So. I have heard that. Yeah. I, I don't want to say this casting it let, and make people think that I have any issue with any, <laughs> especially uh, Pete Davidson. I don't give a shit about machine gun Kelly one way or the other. I don't really know much about him at all. Uh, Megan Fox. I talked shit on her years ago. I don't care. I like it. It's, I mean, I, I care that I talk shit that was not necessary. I don't care about Megan Fox one way or the other. Did you see her commandos versus lions movie a couple of years ago? No, was it called like rage or something uh, or something? Yeah, it was, it was, the the, the rogue, I guess it's, it was rogue. Was it rogue? And yeah. they they spent all their budget on maybe location or something. So when the lions got in there, oh, it was like PlayStation Two lions. Like literally, it was it was so bad. Oh no! It was something like I felt my heart because it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad movie really. It's just a regular movie. But when those PlayStation Two lions came out, there's like oh Megan Fox. Oh no! No! Oh my heart hurts for oh, you. Oh, that's such a shame. <laughs> 
That's like in the Golden Child when they start to do like the stop motion animation. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the demon. The, yeah, for the demon at the end, and you're like, you know what? Like everything was great until this <laughs> this very moment. Oh. Can we just have some more Betty spinning the wheel? Yeah, right. Give me the night. Please give me the night. <laughs> so that that's my my remix take. Um, it's not as bad as some of the ones I've done. That this could actually kind of work. So, so could yours, honestly. Yeah, I so, like it. Yeah, excellent. I like it. Mashups. Yeah, I got a couple ideas. So, okay. what, what do you got in your uh, in your pipe? All right. So, for the obvious one that came to mind, I didn't even think about what it would be, but uh, Ghostbusters, of course, of course. Um, that'd I be quick. I've, one I've, of us. I've would... seen a sketch. I think. Oh no, it was Family Guy. Family Guy did a sketch of of Peter busting Patrick Swayze. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, another one is what dreams may come. where sam tries to assist robin williams character chris as he navigates the many trials of his sad and depressing afterlife nice i think that would be uh interesting and then uh one another fairly obvious one is uh the sixth sense where the kid cole replaces otome in the story yeah uh one that i was thinking of that would be kind of interesting is that you mash up ghost with Casper, and instead of Otome, you have a friendly ghost character, <laughs> and you take beats where like the the murder happens pretty early on, but of course it's not gruesome or anything. Uh-huh. And you're like, okay, this is a ghost remake, and then there's not enough movie for you to realize that this is super PG, and then Casper <laughs> shows up, and you're like, oh, this is a children's, like, oh. this is a family comedy version of Ghost <laughs> where Casper helps. Patrick Swayze's character, or Sam, um, you know, find his way back to heaven. <laughs> and it's just Casper saying like super goofy cartoony character stuff. And like Sam not knowing what the hell this is wrong with this kid. And also all the ghosts look like they were as people except Casper who looks like Casper. <laughs> and it's just very weird. And then you go to the, the front desk of the movie theater and you're like, I'm sorry, I don't have any kids. And I did not realize the movie that I was coming to see. So can I have my money back, please? It's, it says ghost, but in the tiniest one ever, it says the friendly above it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. So yeah, we got, we got Casper. Uh, we've got uh, Sixth Sense. We've got Ghostbusters. We've got what else? What, what dreams, what may, dreams come. may come. I like what dreams may come because uh, that movie does not age very well at all. Uh, like there's some major problems with that that I think would be interesting on a revisit for sure. Uh, I have not seen it in a long time. It's one of those movies I loved when it came out. And then for years I talked about it. It's written. The story is written by Richard Matheson who mm-hmm. did the terror 20,000 feet. And he also did, I am legend. Uh-huh. Um, and was a big guy, uh, writer for twilight zone back in the day, as well as some, some of the best uh, horror fiction um, from the like sixties and seventies. Yeah. And uh, he wrote "What Dreams May Come." That was one of his stories. And uh, the the story the the story that he wrote is great. The Robin Williams movie, when I was a kid, was great. Watching it as an adult, it's very weird and kind of fucked up in a couple ways. Like his daughter turns into an Asian woman because he said that all Asian women were hot um, <laughs> when when they were alive. I don't so remember that. Oh, so God. she's like, okay, cool. I guess I'm gonna be an Asian woman because my dad thinks they're hot. It's like weird shit like that. It's, it's, it's kind of bizarre. Um, I might have to 
tick that one on the list because, <laughs> like I said, I have not seen it. Like I know the broad beats of it, but I haven't seen it in a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's it's an interesting movie. Um, it, I I you can tell what it was trying to do, and it got a little close to it. There's some interesting uh, visual elements to it as well, but man, it it did miss. <laughs> it did in you fact. Know, there, miss. there are some people that really love that movie so yeah it, it's definitely worth a revisit hell yeah maybe uh sometime in the uh the future we can uh we can smack it up uh, that sounds like a, a distinct possibility yeah. but for now uh we're gonna finish up this episode with what we always finish this episodes <laughs> with is uh our trailer so let's get some music terrible up here. trailers what is a ghost but a memory of feelings Incomplete situations that you wish were different. Welcome to the world, Ghost. Anne Hathaway is Molly, a woman who lost her love too soon. Zoe Saldana as Samantha is gone but not forgotten, and she lingers in this world as a memory, as a haunting reminder of love gone too soon. As Molly meets Zoe Kravitz's May and tries to move on and establish new relationships, she finds that she may not be able to because of Spike Jones' ghost coming to summer. Aw, that was kind of sweet almost. <laughs> Like sad, like very melancholy for sure. But yeah, yeah a little sweet too. It's like I just don't know how to let go. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so yeah, clearly um, I have a lot to uh, go against here, uh, and I'm clearly going to just top your your trailer so hard. Well, you definitely have more room for energy. <laughs> I'm just going to blow this sadness out of my nose. Yeah. Honk. Right. Yeah, this, there's not going to be an ounce of sadness to this one here, so here we go. Sam Wheat's just a little fuckboy from Long Island that's trying to get by with his buddy Carl. Selling newspaper subscriptions door-to-door to, door to save up enough money for him and his girlfriend Molly to get a place of their own and move out of his dad's garage. Dude. Until one day he realizes, well, no, where'd my money go? <laughs> and before he knows it, he's a ghost. <laughs> this summer, Pete Davidson is Sam Wee, a ghost, trying to tell his still-living girlfriend, Molly Jensen, played by Megan Fox, that it was really Machine Gun Kelly who killed him. Literally, it was Machine Gun <laughs> Kelly. He's playing himself. <laughs> Join us on a wild ride where the, when there's weed dealing, uh, buddy, Willie Lopez, played by Amari Noscalo, kills Pete Davidson for very little money. A significantly small <laughs> amount of money. Free magazines! And the only way that he can get back in touch with the real world is with the help of the subway ghost, literally Tom Green. <laughs> <laughs> this summer, Jason Orley's ghost <laughs> fantastic coming off the back of that trailer do you think 
that if MGK wasn't in the picture, uh, Pete Davidson would already have had Megan Fox. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, most yeah. likely. I mean, he's definitely her vibe for, like, <laughs> dude she's into. Um, so, yeah, I definitely see that. Do, do you think there's any chance that Megan Fox is like, oh, not Pete, ew, but Machine Gun Kelly, on the other hand, yum. No, no, you you have major point. They're interchangeable, <laughs> basically. Like that's yeah. <laughs> Travis Barker's in there too, somehow. Like oh, all the gross dudes. Yeah, just doing the thing. So, yep, why not? Um, so yeah, that is the end of our <laughs> episode on Ghost uh, from 1990. Tell us what you think should be mashed up with this. Tell us what you think should be cast for a remake or reimagining of uh, of Ghost. Who do you think should be the director of a Ghost remake? And uh, join us on our social media. All the links to that and our other episodes, other shows on the Geeks Under the Influence Network are available at GUIPodcast.com. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell the world that this show exists, and we do appreciate it. We'll find you next time for another episode. I'm Mike the Hobbit. And I'm Tondi Woodard. And the end? You little, little, little smack at a pitch. A little, little smack, smack on the pitch. <laughs> GUIPodcast.com Mike the Hobbit here. Lowdown Brown. Inviting you to check out Geek Some of the Influence, a podcast that pairs booze with conversation with good friends. And a little nerd culture. We get a lot of colorful conversation out of our episodes, but... It is here for everyone. No gatekeeping. Always level up everything we do. We'll punch up, never punch down. Exactly. So check out Geeks Under the Influence everywhere you get your podcasts and join us or die. Shut the fuck up, Hobbit. Welcome to GUI Nights. GUI Nights. Yeah, I am Lowdown Brown. With me as always, Mike the Hobbit. This is the tangential side of GUI. This is like so many of those other shows that has the after the show bit mixed with a little bit of Baywatch night, so it's a little sexier. It's a little bit after hours. Also, while tying it into the previous episode of GUI, so look forward to that too, because this comes out the week after the flagship hour-long episode. So make sure to check out GUI nights, and uh, when you're done, you can go the fuck home. Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. Hey guys, Scotty P here with Smash on your left. And we are the Geek Fathers. That's right, bringing all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So welcome to our world. And as always, join us or cry. My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. In a world of blockbuster movies, there is another dimension. The dimension of schlock cinema. Join us at Beautiful Disasters on a journey into the fringe territory of B-movie abandon. We review the flicks that are forgotten or underappreciated 
to give them a proper place in the annals of celluloid history. I'm the Groots. F.U. Hunter. Your guides at Beautiful Disasters. Come along with us for a fun ride. May, May the, the schlock be with you. you.